Today we have Cody Davis on the show. Do you want to know the secrets of a young millionaire? Cody Davis started buying real estate at 19 years old, and he's been successful with seller financing. He focuses on cash flow and keeps it simple with two buying criteria. Wouldn't it be great if you could buy property using seller financing? You can, and Cody Davis is here to teach you how. He doesn't ask property owners to sell. He instead focuses on learning from other successful property owners and deals flow his way. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Cody Davis before we start the show. Cody is 22 years old and started investing at the young age of 19. He went to college but found it didn't suit him. He was on a mission to learn real estate investing and focused on learning from other successful property owners. He asked each of them, how would you recommend I get started? This approach brought him deal flow and he learned how seller financing and focusing on cash flow would get him in the game and help build his wealth quickly. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Cody Davis here with us. Cody, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. Um, this is the first time that Cody and I are, are actually speaking, but... He's all over social media and he's a young guy. So we're going to find out how he got involved. And um, with that, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Yeah, today I own uh, 11 properties, 105 rental units, and I'm under contract on a couple more deals right now. 100 and how many units? I got 105. 105 units. So a lot of people are listening and cannot see you. Some people are watching on, on uh, YouTube, but this is a young guy, man. If you don't know Cody Davis, how old are you? Uh, 22. 22 years old. So did you go to college or no? I went to college for a, a semester and then left shortly thereafter to get my real estate license. So talk about that. What, what led you to leave school um, that's a scary proposition for a lot of people to, you know, take that chance. And so how did you know that real estate was it and that you'd be successful? Yeah. So my uh, parents urged me to go into college and then uh, they're not in the real estate space at all. So I had um, been going to college and just, it wasn't my thing. I wasn't a huge fan of some of the teachers. I wasn't a fan of some of the pointless projects that were just for the curriculum but had no actual applicable use. Sure. And 
I had put a little post on a, a Facebook group said I was looking for a mentor to learn about real estate because I had done some little bit of landscaping. I was pressure washing for a buddy of my dad's houses. And um, they said I should join the group, join the group. And I, I put a little post saying I was looking for a mentor. And someone told me I should get my real estate license and join their firm. So that's what I did. That's, that's a big decision. Uh, so what went through that decision process for you? I mean, once, once they, you got the offer to join that firm, you just, ju- you just jumped? You just knew it was inside you. You knew it was the right thing to do. Well, I didn't know anything because I was not doing super well in college. You know, I was a good student, but I just didn't care about it. And I'd never done this before. And my parents told me to keep pursuing college and that I shouldn't do the real estate thing in the beginning. And uh, that was just from lack of exposure to what it really was. And so I didn't have any confidence going into it at all, but it was something new. And that's what prompted me to make the jump. Uh, your parents probably say something different now, right? Now, yeah, now they're, now, now uh, they're proud interested. of their boy, right? Yeah. That's something that a lot of people, um, you know, look, a lot of people want to do something else in their life, you know, whether it's, Real estate investing, start start a business, change careers, change companies even in the same industry. But people are so afraid to make that jump. I mean, that was a, whether you realize it or not, that was a big decision. And from your success, it seems like it was, you know, hugely profitable and, and a good decision at that. It, it worked out, but it wasn't just the fact that I got my license. That was not the reason that all this stuff worked out. My license has played a, I mean, it, it got me in the right location to start learning, but it wasn't the reason that I was able to buy all the apartments because most real estate agents don't own a bunch of apartments. That, that's not the main component. So talk about what, you know, what was the, what were the components that led to your success? It, it came down to meeting with people who had done things that I wanted to accomplish. And so whenever I, f- I found someone that, uh, so example, my very first deal was a 12 plex. It was on the market and that was my very first deal. And that was a relatable point that segued into meeting with an owner who owned another 12 plex, but he didn't just own one 12 plex. He owned a ton of apartment buildings and this was one of his first properties. And so I was able to relate based on what I'd done in the past, which was my first 12. and that segued into building relationships with people who had done bigger things. And I had never bought a duplex before. So I ended up reaching out to an owner that had a duplex and turned out he owned the whole town essentially. (laughs) And I ended up buying three duplexes off the fact that I had never done it before. And I had done bigger stuff, but I'd never bought duplexes. So I bought a street of duplexes and they own a 15 plex next to my 12. And so I'm going to do that um, here in the coming month or two. And, that creates a little land assemblage, but it was just finding pieces that were relatable and then finding a reason that, oh, they've done something I've never done. I should go learn how they did that. And that's what really created the opportunity for growth. Well, you said a number of different things there. One, you, you went searching for people that have already done it, right? And, and I think that no matter what you do in life, if you can find other people that have done something that you wanna do and you can learn from that person, um, that's fantastic. Second, you actually took action, right? You, you, you must have called. You, did you have a, like a cold calling campaign to go towards 
How did you get a hold of these people that own these properties? Yeah, so I, I didn't do any campaigns. I didn't do any mailers. Didn't do any day long cold calling lists. Not a fan of those. I so how did you get in touch up. with them? You just yeah. So everybody's phone numbers on on Google. Everybody, whether they're an A list celebrity, and I, I I've proven this on a little YouTube video. You can do it with anybody, um, but it takes you know five ten minutes if they're you know super famous. It may take ten to fifteen, but everybody's phone numbers online. And when you go through the process a couple of times, it gets quicker and quicker. And so it's really easy to find phone numbers for mom and pop property owners. It doesn't cost anything other than a couple of minutes. And um, I would just figure out who owns it. You can do that with a tax assessor. I had my real estate license, so I got the realist report, but I've gone through it when I, like I've kept my license inactive for a little bit. I just reactivated it just because I started my own brokerage with a buddy. But um, when I had it inactive, I could do the same exact process with the tax assessor. So I'd figure out who owns the property. I'd go snag their phone number from Google, give so, them a call. All right. So I'm, I'm going to hit you up on how you do this because I have gone to, you know, whatever, the, the property tax appraisal um, for each county. And, and you, could, you can see who owns it. Right. Yep. You get the you get the name of the owner and it, and it could be an entity or it could be a person. Right. At that point, how do you get the phone number? Yeah. So uh, there's a couple different ways to do it. Um, typically, Google is really like if, if someone's really famous, let's start with that, because there's a lot of really famous people that own bigger buildings that syndicators could want to buy. Granted, I don't, I don't do the syndication thing, but if people are listening to this and they want to do that, Google is really willy nilly with six numbers in people's phone number and you just have to get the last couple digits and so most people will get the um the first six and they're like okay well i have to pay for it because it'll have the six digits and then the xxx at the end that blanks out the last few well if you take that person's name their city and then you put in the first six numbers google will auto scrub through and it'll provide the last few digits so i've so done that for folks like the wolf on wall street uh, you get uh, the name, the city, and and how do you get the first six? So if so you Google, that's pretty, that's pretty much identified, and they just X out the the other four. Yeah. So if they're super famous, it'll usually like if you put in their name, the city they live in, and then the yep. phone number, it'll usually give you the first six digits, and then you just have to to copy the the six digits, and then take out phone number and put in the six, and then it'll give you the last three. Wow. It's, it's an error in Google's code. And so I've done that to find really famous people. I like found Elon Musk's number doing that. Um, well, probably one of them. I imagine he has a lot of phones. But and then um, if you want to figure out if because a lot of people have iPhones, you can just start texting the number and it'll pop up blue and, you know, you got a valid number. And so I've done that for you know, just to prove the concept to folks. Um, I've done that on live calls with like super famous people that you and I would both know. Um, but for mom and pop owners, usually if you just put in the city and then their phone number, it'll pop up. And, you know, if they're small, maybe they own 50 to 80 units or less, then sometimes it won't give you their phone number right away. But if you can figure out what they do to work, because a lot of those types of owners are still working. Right. Then you can find the phone number because it's going to be typically tagged to if they have a social media presence. People usually do two step authentication and that's how you can cross it. We can, we can go offline and uh, do a, uh, it, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's, like that's crazy. I mean, 
Look, you said about syndication, you're not doing it, but there, there are a lot of syndicators that are looking to scale and, and they may have a property and there's two or three properties right near them. And look, this, the, they're probably right now just calling their broker and saying, hey, I'd be interested in you know, getting into one of these properties. Um, but here's a way for them to potentially go direct. I mean, that's, that's interesting. So it's, it's a little different, but it works. And if you can start doing these little land assemblages, like I bought my 12 plex and then I remodeled it. And now I'm working on buying the 15 and there's a five plex next to that. And it's all waterfront. And so I became the only logical buyer to buy the five after I buy the 15. So you and call the to- person up and what do you say? Well, it starts out as just an intro. Like, Hey, my name's Cody. Saw you on a 12 plex. I've never done this before. I'm curious how you did it. Like that, that's the script. I don't ask people to buy and I don't ask them to sell to me. And because of that, you know, a lot of people ask like, okay, what objections are you getting? I'm not getting objections because I'm not asking for things. Right. There's people that get super nervous when they're making cold calls or when they're meeting with someone who's done something they haven't. And the only reason they're nervous is because they're trying to get something. I'm trying to give them a coffee meeting. I'm trying to buy them coffee and learn how they did it. And that's it. Yeah. And then, and then you build the relationship. And right. once you build the relationship, then all of a sudden they're like, hey, if I was going to sell, I'd like to sell to Cody. Right. And I actually don't ask them to, to sell either after we build that relationship. It's like, hey, you know my pieces. I appreciate you sharing your story. I'm, I'm working on building something similar. And you, now that you know my pieces, how would you recommend I go about getting started? And that's the big piece. It's like, hey, I don't want you to sell to me. It's just, how would you recommend I go get started and start building up my portfolio? And from that, I bought my second 12 plex. I bought um, my first six plex. Uh, we got a seven plex out of that. We got the duplexes out of that. We being my buddy Christian and I, this, it was just me originally. And then after 30 units, Christian and I started partnering and we took down a 38 plex. But uh, that was our first deal together. But it, it's all been seller financed and it's all been through that motion. That's amazing. It's such a different approach that than most people would go at it. And, but you can see as the owner, how it just takes the guard down. You know, like, here's just a young guy trying to learn. And look, people, successful people typically want to help other people become successful. And that's what you're, you're hitting on, you know, Hey, look, I, you're not saying this, but look, I know you're successful. Like, I'd like to learn from you. And people want to share that. That's, that's, that's huge. And then that's brought real business to you. Yeah, I've, uh, I turned $3,000 into, after this month, it'll be about $18 million in real estate without syndicating. Wow. A little less than three years. That's crazy. So with that comes mindset right like 22 year old kid like you well you said two years so you started you were 20 like start at 19. 19 i'm going on three years my uh my very first property i bought i can never remember if it's september or october of 20 uh 2019 and so i'm coming on three years here really quick my facebook memories will notify me when i hit it right so i remember Look, I, I'm only in this for like four years and I had the capital. Like you, you started with 3000. I had plenty of money in the bank. It was all in, in stocks and, and uh, ETFs and whatnot. 
But I remember buying my first duplex and I was scared, man. I was scared to pull the trigger. I was scared about all the legal stuff. I was scared of the property management. I was, I, it's just that unknown. Um, but you kind of dove in and maybe sometimes when you don't know, you don't know that it can be better. So how do you, what do you think your mindset, how your mindset is different than other people that you're able to, to go make that happen? Well, it's not like I'm not afraid. My first deal put me a million one in debt. It was a little over that, like a million one and a quarter. And my hand was shaking when I signed the, the loan docs. I signed promissory note and it was actually two promissory notes because the seller finance note was a million twelve five and the other one was 125,000 because I'd borrowed the down payment and second lien hard money. And um, they're both scary, whether you do a duplex or you do a 12plex, or if you go out and start syndicating day one, you buy a hundred plexes, it's all gonna be scary. The difference is how much cash flow you have at the end of the day to back your fear. And you know, a duplex can't cash flow, I don't care where it is, can't cash flow as much in a traditional sense as a 12 unit or a 24 unit. And so if, if you can find the deal, and you can get the debt, in this case, the seller finance debt. It's hard to do it without that. But if you can actually get it, then uh, you're gonna be scared either way. You might as well do the one that has more cushion of cash flow. And that's how I operated my first deal. I'm I'm shocked. I've look, I've interviewed a lot of people and I've never had anybody that has figured out a way to get in at such a low, you know, level of, of their own cash. Typically, you know, I've had younger people, they've said, look, I went out and I found a partner that had the money and I was the hustle factor. But you, you, you know, you're getting seller financing on a lot on all your deals or most of your deals? Uh, every deal except for I flipped a house once and that was hard money. And I bought a sixplex. Also zero down, but it wasn't seller financed. I think that that owner is going to seller finance a duplex to me. And that would just be, that'd be closer to where I grew up. And I'd probably do it with my dad because I, I want to get my family into it now that they're starting to, see, you know, understand. I, I know it works, but I want them to see it on small scale. Sure. Are they interested? So bring, they're, they're definitely interested. Granted, they're not going to get to do all the big deals I'm doing because they're not, you know, as involved. Um, but if I can get that a seller finance duplex, then that'd be great. But that deal I bought, it was six units. We had hard money in first position. I actually bought that um, again with Christian. And I also brought in, I'm, I'm not a proponent. Like I don't love bringing a lot of partners. I'll just put that out there. I don't partner with people for the long term unless it's Christian. But we brought in my buddy, Brian, because he had just bought a 10 plex near one of my buildings, also seller financed. And uh I was like, you know what? You want to do this sixplex together? Because it was cash flow negative. It was losing a couple thousand a month. And I was going to do the project either way. But he had a friend who wanted to loan money. And so we borrowed hard money for first position and took it private for second position and bought it with a signature. That was just a little fun deal. Awesome. So Everything why else no, is seller why, finance, though. Why, why are you against partners? Uh, I'm all for strategic partners. However, you should. I think you should be careful who you actually let on the ship and you should let a lot more people sail on a separate ship in the same direction. So I speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So I've got my boat and I'm going in my little direction. And originally I wanted to 
get enough cash flow to take care of my mom and now I'm and stabilizing everything and I'm going to be able to do that this year. I hit all my goals. And I did not necessarily need, you know, a whole bunch of people to help me get there. Most people set their goals and then when they hear they can get a partner involved, they completely forget about their original goals and they're like, "Oh, I can go do much bigger things." I think you should build something that is self-sustainable that can hit your goals and then if you want a partner to get to the next level, do it. But have a planned exit because people that are on your ship can take boards off your ship and cause you to sink. If they're on their own ship, they can crash into you, but you can also pivot, right? You can, it's easier to move when you have less people on the boat. And if someone starts to crash into you, you can just move out of the way, right? And like, oh, I'm glad I didn't get tied to you with these golden handcuffs of you brought in money. And now I'm, I have an obligation to you and we got to either go legal or write a big check. I think a lot of people can hit what they actually want in life without a bunch of partners. And so I'm willing to take on short-term partners, but I'm going to have a buyout agreement, an assignment of ownership to where I can buy them out. And I could do that out of the portfolio I built on my own. Gotcha. So I think that uh, I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and people have talked to me about partners and good and bad partners. And um, one thing I've, I've heard about, having bad partners is that it's not just about the transaction. It's also about kind of how you look at the world and your moral compass and, and all of that. Um, but I've also been around people that have found great partners and they're able to do a lot more together than they would be able to do without being together. Oh, a hundred percent agree. And that's why I'm partnered with Christian Christian. I, he lifted me up out of a very hard time because I'd gone through a bad partnership. Um, very, very bad. It set me back. You know, it was closer to seven figures than it was to five. And that was, uh, that was January this year. <laughs> so that, that was really a painful six months. And a lot of my close friends and family know about that story. But um, that, that hurt. And that was coming out of a really bad partnership. And so... My main Looking point, back on it, can you could you have done anything different to kind of know, or is it I just, wouldn't have actually done enough? anything different if I could, okay. because out of the windfall of that, uh, I strengthened a lot of other relationships with the people around me, because I, I I stepped up where the other guy backed down and saved a lot of people a lot of money that the other person was stealing. So. Um, really painful for me because I had to sell a huge amount of my real estate. <laughs> I got, it was a multi, multi-million dollar position. I sold out of it to take care of other people that got screwed over by my old partner. Um, but out of that, I built a lot of trust with certain lend, like different lenders in the area. And so now they've got my back because right. they know I'll take care of people even when it's not my obligation. And right. um so the main thing I wanted to share here is, you know, you just be careful who you let on the boat because, yeah, it could go well. It's good to see how people react when it's going well. It's also good to see how people react when it's going poorly. But people lie. They'll lie to you. They'll lie for you. And um, I just don't want a whole bunch of people on the boat anymore. Right. No, I it, look, it's understandable. People's circumstances play into how they're going to make decisions going forward. And that explains it. You just came out of a really bad partnership um, and somebody was, you know, stealing, um, taking, taking investors money that that's uh, it's going to put a sour, you know, 
start with thing in your in your mind for sure. Um, so you already talked about it a little bit. I was going to ask you about creativity. You know, when, I don't know if you read Sam Zell's book, um, but he talks about creativity in real estate, and I kind of was like, real estate, you know, cre- creativity. I think of that as more of like artists and stuff, but it really is about solving problems and figuring out solutions. And you've done it a very different way by, you know, going in and just being the young guy that says, hey, I want to learn from you. Um, so any other ways that you have become creative in how you go about your business? Yeah. So I, I've simplified a lot of it. I think most people overcomplicate the game. And so I just try to keep it super simple. And in order to do that, I had to take the best p- pieces from everybody's story and use it to build my own. And then I had to analyze the worst pieces and figure out what got them there. And so I, I looked at all the little intricacies of all their deals. And I tried to boil it down. And the, I only have two buying criteria today. It's so simple that anybody can repeat it. How do you buy it and how do you never lose it? Now that, at a, you know, just first glance, that's super stupid simple. You know, how do you buy it? How do you never lose it? But if you could honestly assess that situation, you could buy a whole bunch of real estate. And if you know you're never going to lose it, then one day you're going to be super rich. And that was the thought process. So the how do you buy it? You find your deal, then you find the debt. And if you can't get 100% debt that cash flows, that last part's important, then uh, you have to bring in an equity partner, whether it's short term, whether it's syndication, you know, a lot of different strategies there. So that's step one, deal debt equity for the how do you buy it. And then the how do you never lose it comes down to long-term fixed rate debt and cash flow. Specifically, you know, you have debt service coverage. And a lot of my debt coverage is over two because I I wrote seller finance notes where I could 100% leverage and still have a debt service coverage over two. Wow. Going in, you had over two with with On some of my deals. Yeah, some of the deals. We... uh, we being Christian and I, we bought a seven flex in Tequila and the the total payment on it, day one, it was 3,625 bucks a month. And we we're bringing in, uh, I think it was just north of 8,000 a month in income. And the rents were about 50% below market, five zero. So why are the sellers doing that? How, what, you know, what's in it for them to be selling at that point? They, are they just not educated that, I mean, they know that they have $8,000 a month coming in. Yeah. Right. They can see that they're offering you hundred percent financing at 3,600. Why? Yeah. So most, most folks are under the impression that there's a problem, that there's some sort of pain. And that's not the case with most of these people. Cause I'm not reaching out to people that typically, uh, you know, they're, they're just getting started. I want to learn from the A team because they can teach me bits and pieces of this. You know, they're the specialists in the space. And I don't know that day one, but I can get a grasp of it from a coffee meeting. And they're not doing it because there's some pain. They're doing it to elevate the next generation because nobody is trying to play this game. People can try and do the syndication game. They can try and save up money. Some people inherit it. Um, you know, huge JVs where you bring in a whole bunch of, you know, rich doctors and lawyers and you throw your money at a deal, but nobody's actually trying to do what I'm doing right now. And so it's a breath of fresh air when I come in and say, hey, look, these are my actual pieces. This is what I want to do. And this is why I want to do it. 
that that is what really builds it. And I, I broke it down a long time ago into a little circle drill. You got relatable points that'll that'll get you to the table, and you relate based on your past. And then you've got goals, which get people to work with you uh, because that's where you're going. So you get to the table based on your past, and then when you're at the table, you share your goals because that that's future pacing them to where you want to go. And then you got significance, which creates buy-in into your story. And whenever I shared my three pieces, I shared where I was coming from, where I was going, and you know, what would actually change for me when I got there, what would be different. That just sparked a lot of opportunity where it wasn't about the money. I had a guy who sold me a deal for 380000 when he had offers in the fours. It was close to five. Cash out. But he financed it for me. Because I actually knew his story. He started out, that was his very first property he ever bought in the US. And he bought it seller finance, 10% down. Wow. So I, I just had to ask. I had to learn and I had to connect because he got started a very similar way. He came from a, his, his growing up was harder than mine was. Came from out of country, um, you know, basically went around different states and ended up in construction and started learning from the ground up and built a huge and massive portfolio. I have more apartments than he does, but he has a lot more equity because he has, he has <laughs> virtually no debt because he can sell or finance all this to me. And um, yeah, I just learned from people like that. And they do it because they remember them being in that position and not doing what I'm doing. So that, that was a long way to, to say that nobody's doing this. It's, and, no, uh, it's very interesting. You know, it's a, so now if you were to tell other people like you're, you're starting to go up in the unit count. Um, would you advise people to get into the duplex, fourplex, aplex, or get go larger and do the syndications? What's what's your? Yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't start with syndication. Now? I wouldn't start with syndication. So if you can buy a twelveplex, I think it's a great tool. I think if you want to get super liquid. You build a huge seller finance portfolio and then you self-syndicate to your new entity and you get 100% cash out of all the hard work that you've done. So I build a, a portfolio that is sub 60% loan to value. Um, if I were to syndicate that to my own entity at a discount to give investors a great return, then I could pull out multiple millions of dollars in cash and I could go buy a huge complex on my own. And so I think that is a good entry point to the syndication play for folks. Um, a lot of people would disagree on that. Um, however, if you spend a little bit of time and figure out how to play this game, you can go buy a 10plex, a 12plex as a starter property. If, even if you don't have a lot of cash, you're going to learn on your own before you start bringing other people's money in. And when you do that, you build a, a stronger track record because it shows you don't need money to make money. And when you add money, it's like adding fuel to the fire. Mm -hmm. And now you can multiply your investors' returns. I don't see anybody syndicating seller finance deals. And it's no. a lot easier to get the IRR up if you're putting 10% down and getting non-recourse debt at 4% than it is putting 30% down. So you can multiply your investors' money, but you have to show a track record. Yeah. And if you the don't see those deals... Um, you know, the, the 10 plex, the 12 plex, um, then maybe you buy a duplex or a fourplex, you house hack it, you do the FHA. That wasn't an option for me. Right. Today, I talked with the lender and they say it's going to be like a, a whole month of underwriting the whole portfolio, seeing all the statements and everything for on-time payments. It's a mess. So I'm just not going to do it. But if you can, you should. And I wouldn't just limit yourself to 
okay, this is the only box, the only criteria that I'm going to buy off of because my criteria, how do I buy it, which is deal, then debt, then equity. And then how do I never lose it, which is cash flow and long-term fixed rate debt. And if you can answer that on a fourplex, you should buy it because if you own a fourplex, you're going to make more money when it's paid off than if you don't own said fourplex. And if you ever want to trade up, you can trade up and go buy bigger deals. If you have an option to syndicate and it's a killer deal, I mean, I, I turned down a deal because I, I thought it was going to crush me a while ago. I, it probably wouldn't have, but it was over 400 units, seller financed, $7 million down. It was, it was like 15% down. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that might have crushed me. I don't know. I, I try not to dwell on the past, but you can play the seller finance game on the multi-hundred unit complexes. So. Well, it's interesting about that strategy that is, so I, I know some syndicators that have, they've syndicated a deal and then they maybe sell out of that deal and then create a tick and there's like three or four people that go in and buy the syndication out. And the, look, the syndication people, uh, investors all made good money, um, but there's a, there's a question mark in terms of valuation there. Like, you know, the, are the, the new tick, you know, buyers really valuing it at, at market where what you said was different. It was like, all right, you've got all your own seller finance deals. And now you create this syndication deal where you're saying, look, I could value all this at X, but I'm going to actually value it at X minus 15 because I want all my investors to be guaranteed, you know, as you can never guarantee anything, but be as, right. as guaranteed as possible that they're getting a good deal. And so, and it's a win for me because I get to pull out a bunch of cash and then I can go and buy another, another property with that. Um, that's, that's a pretty cool strategy, I think. Um, and, and it, I got to imagine that that would build trust with the investors as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a different strategy. And I'm, I'm not saying that I'm going to do that. Christian, I've talked about it because we're buying a, a seller financed resort right now. And um, th this is the coolest asset we've ever seen. It's, it's cooler than some of the class A apartments that I've seen in Seattle. I just, I like it better. You like what? And I'm up in a, I'm up in the attic right now. I downstairs uh, when I was, uh, before we recorded, we were in the bar, uh, but that actually used to be an actual restaurant. Bill Gates owns an estate across the street. So he'd come over and drink his Macallan 18, but uh, back on track uh, and on task, I'm looking at self-syndicating the apartments to do a cash out. I could sell it at a 20% discount. Does it hurt the, the net worth that? Yeah, sure. But you know, I'll take a seven figure loss here to pay off the resort because I could own the resort in cash and this thing will bang out a million bucks a year. And so it's like, well, you know, sure kind of hurts over there, but we're getting a really high income asset here and we could own it in cash. We could throw a line of credit on it. So people look at it. It doesn't look like it's just owned outright and I could pull against it to be liquid again. But um, that is an instance where I think you do that strategy. You build up a huge leverage portfolio. You raise the rents, you get the equity position to be higher. You sell out the equity if you want to syndicate. Um, you sell it and then um, syndicate out your cash and then you pay off the stuff you really want to own. Yeah, that's cool. You're 22, man. What, like when you think of yourself at 30 and 40 and 50, I'm 52, man. Um, where do you see yourself? Yeah, uh, I don't know about that far. I've only been playing the game for just shy of three years. 
However, we've done the math and it gets pretty big pretty quick if Christian and I just keep going. Um, you know, as long as we don't have like absolute loss, like something you know gets nuked or something, uh, we should both pass a uh, billion dollars in my mid thirties <laughs> of equity. It's crazy, man. Well, the, it's just about the leverage point. Um, the the loan to value, and and this is something I learned from the resort owner here. I, while I'm buying this, I moved in a month before we were closing because we're closing end of month, and he's run multi billion dollar orgs, and he's like, stop focusing on loan to value up front and start focusing on debt coverage, because if you were a hundred, and then this isn't his exact example, but this is mine. Uh, if you were 150% loan to value because you way overpaid on a seller note, but you bought it zero money down, the debt payment was 4,000 a month and the net income was 8,000 a month, would you sign the deal? Well, it depends if the note, is, you know, if the note's one year, then no. But if the note was 50, then yeah, I would sign for it. So that's back to my principles. You know, how do you buy, how do you never lose it? Quantify like that. The loan to value is less important than the debt service. And uh, ultimately so that's what's allowed me to go so quick. Uh, absolutely. So now you talk about long-term fixed debt. The, in the last, say, three years, a lot of the syndication deals, and I have a lot of syndicators that, that come on the show, a lot, a lot of the syndication deals have been more bridge financing. Three, mm-hmm. three, one, one, so fixed for three years, and then two one-year extensions. Um, and I have another business that trades loans between banks, and in the 2008-2010 timeframe, that's kind of where I saw some deals get hurt is when the loan comes due in a terrible economy, cash flows down, cap rates are up, interest rates are up, um, and lenders aren't really wanting to lend. They're, they've, you know, the, the salespeople are gone and now they've got, they've hired a bunch of workout people. And so for me, because of my background, I'm nervous of those short-term loans you talk a lot about fixed rate loans, but you're a young guy. Like, so why do you talk about fixed rate so much? Well, I, I like to project the how do I never lose it part. I think it's cool to build a portfolio, but if you're going to lose it, you know, now you just become another one of those stories, another one of those statistics. And there's already enough of the lost stories online. And the story is worth more than the real estate to me. It allows you to start over if you need to. Uh, but part of the how do you never lose it is I fix my cost. And if I can't fix my cost, then I'm less likely to do a deal because I, I think today I don't sign on loans. I can't pay off before they're due. So what's, so, the, ter- what's the minimum term on a loan that you look at? Uh, the minimum I've ever done for sh- like bridge money was a year, no, but I paid I'm it sure. off. I paid it off. I, I don't sign for loans that I can't pay off out of cash flow or earned income. And uh, I had no earned income in the beginning. So it had to be out of cash flow. And um, today, like I've got a, a note on my 38 plex. We just got it appraised at 341 and we owe a million 670, somewhere in there. I could pay that off in the next four years before it's due. So I, I, today I'm not signing for any loans that I can't pay off before they're due. So that is how I quantify. It doesn't matter if it's interest only, the resort deal that I'm buying, it's a three and a half million dollar note, seller financed. and uh, that I could pay off. It's an eight-year note. I could pay that off in probably five or six years today. So I could pay it off before it's due. And that's how I look at it. It's not just about, okay, the time of the loan matters. The time gives you flexibility. But if you're 
you know, really hyper-focused and you have you know, best business practices in mind while you're doing this, pay off your obligations. You know, if you borrow money, pay it off. Um, I could pay off all my loans before they're due. And that is just something that I, I keep in the back of my head whenever I'm borrowing something. If I can take it to 80%, which I don't do, or 90%, you know, if I could, could I pay it off if I got called? And that is the big question. Yeah, that 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 is the big question. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you're doing all these things, but you you're not like saying, all right, I'm gonna go buy the big house and the big the car. Like you're you're push you must be pushing some of that out because you're looking at these deals like, hey, how can I pay off the debt? I'm pushing out what I'm gonna receive later in life. Yeah, and and it also has to cash flow above. You know, some of the debt payoff, I, I focus on paying down debt because it's important to me not to be super over leveraged. I don't want to be that guy that think, oh, yeah, you got a lot, but, you know, you're going to lose it when something goes wrong. So like the 38 plex, for example, if you just had a normal interest payment on it, it's it'd be fifty six hundred. And if you amortized it, it would be like eighty three hundred for the original loan balance. I'm paying ten thousand a month flat rate because that's what they really needed to retire. And so I'm paying off the the loan by over four thousand bucks a month, and the deal still cash flows over ten grand a month. So I'm still you know, hyper focused on paying down the debt, but I also make sure that I write my my deals where they cash flow above and beyond that. Sure, sure, that's 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 fantastic. Um, so mom and dad wanted you to go to college. What mm-hmm. what was your childhood like? I mean, did you know that you were going to be like this? Look. You're just, you said you've only been playing the game for two or three years, but like, you seem like you've got a great head on your shoulders and, and you're thinking about the long term and, and being smart about how you approach things, um, not trying to over leverage. Um, so did you know that you, you were going to have this type of success when you were younger? Nope. Uh, but I did get some good stuff from my mom when I was growing up. Cause I grew up in a split household after eight years old. Cause my parents split when I was eight and my mom's always just told me, be a good human. Be a so, good human. Be a good human. That's all. That's my go-to nowadays. But, um, a lot of people seem to forget that piece when they're doing business <laughs> and yeah. it hurts themselves in the long run and it hurts people in the short term. And it's like, you know, be a good human. It's so simple that it's right. Absolutely. And, the, and, this is a relationship business. So you're building relationships with sellers. They're giving you seller financing. You're also building relationships with banks and banks and sellers. And, you know, I don't, it doesn't sound like you have a lot of investors, but um, investors, they, they want to work with good people. They want to yeah. work with people that they know, like, and trust. And um, so you, you have that at your core also, which is fantastic. And I still don't have any bank loans. No bank loans at all. Um, I don't what, have about any bank a- loans. what about agency loans? No agency loans either. No, it's nope. all it's all seller financing. Yeah, I was I was gonna get a loan because I was doing a cash out refi. I was taking my thirty eight plex to fifty five percent loan to value, and I was working with a company that I won't name because I've named them on other social platforms, and I, I don't need to get in trouble with them. However, <laughs> um, it was the day of closing. We had passed underwriting. On as is appraisal, we hit all the cash flow requirements for their debt obligation. We had the net worth backing by more than 2x. Um, we had the liquidity requirements. 
they did not like how fast that my buddy Christian and I were scaling and they didn't understand seller finance notes and they tanked the loan day of closing. Oh no. Yeah. So blew months going through the hoops on that. And um, yeah, that, that was an absolute, <laughs> that was terrible because we had exhausted money elsewhere. Um, we, we still had plenty of reserves, but we had spent money on projects that we were originally going to wait till after loan. We were like, you know, it, it closes today. Let's just spend it. And then they tanked it. And um, that put us in a pinch for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and I had to figure that out. But um, yeah, still no bank loans, no agency, no bridge. We just, we've got the seller notes and we have a two-year hard money loan on the sixplex that we just bought. That was so the deal what, I mentioned earlier. What about geography? Where, where do you focus? You, so you're living in Seattle now? Is that? No, I, I actually live full time in the resort. So I'm staying in the, it, it's kind of the weirder of all the, the units. There's, it's a 20 cabin resort, waterfront, Robin Hood Village Resort in Union, Washington. And it's called the, the Golden Mile. And it was actually deemed by, I think it was Forbes to be one of the 20 prettiest cities in all of America. Oh, wow. It's beautiful here. Small, small town America, but um, you know, property neighbors with Bill Gates, the Nordstroms, Jeff Rakes. There, there's some affluence here. I'm the broke neighbor. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, I'm living here in the, it's kind of the weird unit because it was just built. It used to be storage, I believe, above the old restaurant. And then they converted it into a legal living space. And um, Is that yeah. where you're from, Washington? From Washington. I was born in Tacoma moved uh, a year ago to Renton, be close to my business partner, Christian, and then moved down here because we're closing out the resort in the next uh, like 20 days or so, a little less so, than that. So talk about multifamily versus a resort. I mean, the, it's a, it's rental, but it's, it's different. I mean, you, you have to market it very differently. You have to um, look at the cash flows differently and, and, um, so how did, how did you take what your experience on, on the multifamily side and bring that to this resort? Yeah, so the, they've actually never marketed this resort. So uh, they stay full on word of mouth. And I've, I've reviewed 10 years of financials and they, they stay full, which is phenomenal. It's just, I think it's because of the physical location. It is so pretty. The water here is such a nice blue. You, you don't see this anywhere else in Washington. Um, but as far as it being different, our goal was to get to 100 rental units and then do something really fun that could produce a lot of cash. And this place will bang out over a million bucks a year in income, and we're buying it for four and a half million. And so the the price versus the cash flow, like that ratio, is a lot higher on this type of asset than it is on the apartments. And that's why we're, we're doing it because we did the apartments, we've got the stable cash flow. We could write all the checks for this asset, including the mortgage, if it didn't make a dime. And you know, granted, it's making very good money today, but we could fund it out of the stable stuff. So we got the stability, so and smaller, now we're going after. The but you still, it's still a different business model. I mean, it's, it's um, you have to. Well, you say it's it's full word of mouth. Does it have a restaurant or any other like business component to it? Is it just rentals of cabins? It's a cabin rental and a wedding venue. So the wedding venue in itself, right now they just do summers and that makes a few hundred thousand a year. Um, and then the rentals make a few hundred thousand a year. And um, their pricing is about a quarter of what it is across the street. 
So there's we're not going to take it all the way up to market because we don't have to. It, it cash flows. We're going to cash flow really well day one. I mean, it'll be five figures a month day one, um, just because the income versus the debt stack that we have on it. We have a four and a half percent interest only loan for eight years. Um, it's it's <laughs> wonderful, right? I mean, and that's like today's numbers. Man, so, I talk I talk to people like I duplexes and fourplexes. I can see seller financing, but like you're taking it to a completely different level. But you're you're taking your strategy is so different in terms of building the relationship and not asking for them to sell. So the, I'm a, you never said this, but I'm assuming in your conversations at some point, they say, hey, do you want to buy this? So this one, we, we roll up and um, we were told that this was off market. I got this from a buddy of mine. Uh, his name's Dion. He's got a YouTube channel. And so he's a YouTube buddy. And... Uh, <laughs> He reaches out to us. He's like, hey, I was looking at an off-market deal. It's a little resort, middle of nowhere. And it's four and a half million, zero money down, seller finance. It's like, oh, that sounds great. Turns out it was zero money down. He just forgot all the extra zeros and the one in front of it because it's a million dollars down. So this is our <laughs> biggest down payment that Christian and I are putting together. And um, we're just backing it with equity in, the port, in our uh, apartments to be able to put the down on this. Um, so it's really fun. but. Um, yeah, I mean, we just, we found it. We thought it was off market. Turns out it was on the market, but we had already built a pre-established relationship with the owner. Just, it was genuine. And we we stroll in. It was either the first time I met him or the second, I think it was the first time. And we were sitting, I'll send you pictures. Maybe you could put it on, like you could edit it into here. I don't know. But it is one of the most beautiful resorts I've been at. It is, it's just, nice it's cool 1934 cabins uh they're built by don beckman set designer for disney they were partnered with walt way back when and the owners partnered with roy on other stuff i mean it's just, the stories i've learned were cool but we walk in sit down and we're putting off the business learning about each other and he's like so you guys just bring a suitcase full of cash it's like yeah let me go grab it and that's when we started talking about terms and we learned that it wasn't going to be zero down and that was going to be a million down but um we just had to adjust our pieces and figure out how to write the note. And we should day one cash flow about a little over 20 grand a month on a million down, which is a phenomenal return. But we've got over 400 grand in net upside just from optimizing the systems. And so we can, we can get it to cash flow like 650 a year. That's unbelievable. So you're, uh, you're all over YouTube. I mean, so you do a lot of YouTube videos, but you're not syndicating. So a lot of people do content to attract investors and attract partners. So why are you, you know, what's the goal of doing all the videos and, and what do you focus on? Yeah, well, I post videos three times a week on YouTube, probably twice a week on Instagram. Uh, I post on Facebook and I don't have a media marketing team. It's just Christian and I, um, but we're just posting every week because no one else is. Everybody has some hidden agenda for, oh, I want you to invest money with me in a deal. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like nothing, because if, you, if you're a good business operator and you can make everybody money, then there's no reason you shouldn't do that. But nobody is just putting out content to you know, help other folks out. Like nobody that's, knows about so that strategy. Really, that's your goal is, is to just help other people. Well, I wouldn't be here if other people hadn't helped me. 
The difference is most people are unwilling to reach out to folks who have played this game at this level and right. ask because they are nervous. They feel like they're just trying to take without giving and shouldn't be thinking like that, but people do. And so I'm going to put it out there so they don't have to do that. And you know, we got a couple 19 year olds that are buying a seller finance 10 plex in Texas and uh, they're, they're under contract on another eight plex and another 10 plex, all seller finance. So 28 units, seller finance. We just put a video about them on our YouTube, but we met them nine months ago. They applied the strategy. And just like that, they're going to own 28 units without syndicating. And they literally have no money. I mean, they had less than I did. And I only had three grand. Wow. That's amazing. That's, I applaud you, man. One, for figuring it out. I mean, and then two, uh, for giving back. I mean, look, uh, not like you said, not everybody is going to do that. And, and you said nobody is doing it. Um, I, don't, I haven't seen... I haven't talked to anybody that's talking about seller financing um, at really at the higher level. Um, that's fantastic. Hey, what do you like to do outside of work for fun? Yeah. Well, since I moved to the resort, I've done a lot of kayaking. Uh, so out, outdoorsy type stuff? Yeah, outdoorsy stuff. I've done gymnastics for a while now. Um, started doing parkour when I was nine and a half. And uh, so I've been doing flips, jumping off buildings, vaulting, all that for a little over a decade. So parkour, talk about that because that is, is just what you're saying. Like, like jumping, doing crazy stuff that you see on videos, right? Yeah. Um, climbing up buildings, walls, jumping over walls, you know, vaulting. So you're getting from point A to point B as quick and creative as possible. And, you know, you got to be able to simplify it when you're going quick, because if it gets too complicated, you miss your footing and you smack your head. And I, I have some scars where I did that. But uh, <laughs> if you can so simplify it, then you can do it. Yeah. Normally guys are like, OK, I, I like to play golf and I like to travel. And you're like parkour. And I've seen pictures of this guy. He's like, he likes to walk around like on one hand. I mean, he, so being a gymnast, it makes sense. Um, hey, if people want to get to know you better, what's the, the best way for them to, to reach out? Yeah. So I actually posted a YouTube video, how to find any property owner ever, where I simplified what we were talking about earlier. And one of the examples I used in that video was of me. So if you want to actually text me, my phone number's in that video. You just have to literally watch it. And um, is, there, is there a name for the video? Yeah. Uh, how to find any property owner ever. Uh, you just put that and then. Cody Davis, it'll pop up. Or you can just look up Cody Davis Real Estate. I'll pop up on YouTube. Cody and Christian Multifamily Strategy will pop up there. If you want a message on uh, Instagram, my tagline is doing Cody things because I, I had a shirt that said I'm Cody doing Cody things and people <laughs> like that. So you message me there too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. I, I think that a lot of people make up excuses on why they can't get involved. You know, I don't have enough money. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm, you know, I'm busy, I'm what, whatever the case may be. And Cody, you are a shining example of somebody that just says, you know what, get out there and figure it out and be a good human. I love that. I love that. So thank you for coming on. Um, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. 
Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 